I express to you how obsessed I am with Mary Gaucher? Well, it started in a bookstore in Nashville. This book practically jumped off the shelf and smacked me in the face. It was called Saved by a Song, The Art and Healing Power of Songwriting. Whoever had written it, their soul was in those pages. It reached out and it grabbed me and spoke to me. I knew then and there I needed to meet whoever had written that book. It was Mary Gaucher, a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter. She's been named one of the greatest songwriters of her generation. Her songs are simple, they're acoustic, but so gritty. Jimmy Buffett, Dolly Parton, Tim McGraw, Blake Shelton, and the list goes on. Those are just a few people who recorded her songs. But she didn't start in music. She started as an addict and drifted a bit before becoming a chef in her 20s. At 28, she got sober and started playing music. And 10 years later, by 39, she decided to move to Nashville and go full time in music. She started when most people wind down their careers. I interviewed her on the night before she went into the studio to begin recording her 11th studio album. Mary is unlike anyone I've ever met. She is so freaking cool. This is Mary Gaucher, the troubadour. But before we begin, did you know you can watch this entire episode on YouTube? Yeah, I know. Every interview, every awesome moment, it's all been captured on multiple cameras in our studio in Nashville. Just know you can always check out these full interviews on YouTube and then also really feel like you're sitting with me with each guest. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, comment on the videos you like best, and be a part of our community. Just look up Amstigator. Let's get started. So Mary, I, I like to start by playing a little game. Do you like games? Let's do it. <laughs> okay, so it's just a series of questions. All you have to do is be truthful. Are you ready? I'll do my best. All right, when was the best time in your life? The best time in my life? Well, that's a, uh, uh, the best time in my life is right now. Okay. Tell me why. Because I am uh, more balanced, centered, sober, uh, peaceful, uh, calm than I've ever been. When was the worst time in your life? The opposite of that. <laughs> wow, yeah. When I wasn't sober, balanced, peaceful, or calm. Getting sober was big for me, and uh, staying sober remains important, but being sober today, feeling my recovery is, uh, I'm just so grateful. And, and I experienced that as a verb. And so that's why mm. I would answer that truthfully right now, right here. I love that. I love that you're so present-minded. When was a turning point for you? Well, again, uh, when I got uh, arrested for drunk driving in 1990, and uh, I realized that I had a problem. And I was able to get help and get sober. Uh, and I continue to get help to stay sober. And, uh, you know, sometimes it takes something really, really serious to get your attention. And getting arrested for drunk driving was serious. Yeah. And uh, it happened on a big night. It was the night I opened my second restaurant. And uh, uh, it was an opening party celebration. And I was always driving home. I got pulled over. Mm. When was the greatest moment of clarity for you? Like, is there a moment in your life where you can say that, that, that's the clarity point? Um, gosh, for me, clarity is a process more than a moment. Although that moment uh, in that jail cell, when, when it was supposed to be a, um, a celebration uh, of success, uh, was pretty clarifying. Um, uh, but I think that clarity comes in fits and starts. And often it's in retrospect. When, I, when, I, when I'm looking back, it, it becomes clear as I contemplate uh, what has transpired. I, mm. I become clearer. Also, as a writer, um, I think you experience life uh, differently when you write about it. Mm. I think clarity comes very much as a songwriter and an author from writing. Mm. Because you're trying to sort it out and heal from it at the same time, aren't you? It's exactly you? what writers are doing, whether they mm. know it or admit it or not. So it's <laughs> what we're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Tell me something about your nature that you feel like you've overcome or you continue to overcome. Um, I'm always dealing with my addictive nature. 
we had the discussion of the cookies when I yeah. got here. Um, uh, it, uh, it's really hard for me to have a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> I have a very addictive nature. And if it feels good, um, I want more. And just fill in the blank. I have to deal with that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know I cannot have drugs and alcohol. I still struggle with a lot of other things. And mm. I don't know if you ever fully overcome it, but being aware of it is certainly helpful uh, to know that, okay, I'm going too far here. If I, if I go any further, there's going to be consequences. With sugar, I get terrible migraines, mm. but I still push it to the edge because <laughs> my addictive nature. Yeah, I feel okay. I'll have another. And another. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's my Achilles heel for sure. What do you find yourself saying a lot lately? Are there, are there phrases that come out of your mouth? Hmm. I think lately what, what I, I tend to be saying is don't make long range plans. Why? Pandemic. <laughs> yeah, that taught a lot, didn't it? <laughs> we don't know what's yeah. coming and we don't know if there's more. Uh, apparently there is more. Yeah. Uh, and everything seems to be uh, in motion and uh, uh, changing. So a day at a time seems to be a pretty good strategy <laughs> yeah. and has been for the last couple of years. Well, and as a touring artist, that's difficult. It's difficult because you got to book shows. Hmm. But we're sitting in a show these days thinking this could be canceled in the middle. You know, like oh, anything yeah. could happen. It's complete Wild West. Yeah. So that, I mean, that is life in the gravy boat, truly, yeah. at that point. You're like, oh, well, tonight happened. Great. Yeah. Nothing, nothing could be finer. Tonight happened and we don't have a breakthrough infection and we're going to try it again tomorrow night. But who knows? <laughs> who knows? Oh, my gosh. Um, what do you think your purpose is right now? Uh, my purpose, I believe, is to be an artist and, and to create. So whether I'm writing essays are working on songs. I'm going in the studio to make a new record uh, this week coming. Um, my purpose is to be an artist. And underneath that, the deeper purpose for me is service. And I need to be of service to several things. I need to be of service to truth, to, to beauty, to, 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 I think my work uh, speaks to a broad range of people, um, but awful lot of them have been told they don't belong. Hmm. And those are my people. I want to be of service to those who feel they don't belong. Is that from your own experience? Absolutely. Yeah. I was told I don't belong. Yeah. And I know that belonging is a very, very primal need. Hmm. So I want to sing to folks and write uh, my book, uh, books, hopefully, hmm. to folks who've been told that too. And uh, the message is we belong together. Yeah. Outsiders United. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when do you think you realized all of that was your purpose? Oh gosh, that's been a long process. Mm. Been a long process. Um, I think as, as uh, time moves forward and, and I get older, it just becomes clearer and clearer. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know when I was drawn to music and song that I was supposed to do it in service. But I learned that, that the songs that, that I write in service are the ones that resonate. Mm. And, and, and it became clearer and clearer. Uh, the first time I played a, a big festival, um, I was so excited because I thought I was going there to sell a lot of CDs and make some money. And I get to the line after I play thinking I'm gonna sell a lot of CDs and, and there's people in it who are in tears. And I realized, oh my God, I'm not here to sell a lot of CDs. I'm here to listen to the stories and comfort. Mm. My songs have this um, emotional component that can pull people open. Mm. And I, I receive that. Well, and they have that component because they were written in that, in that place, right? I mean, th that, only, uh, that only life experience can bring. Because yeah. you felt those emotions or helped yeah. people who felt those emotions. Right? Don't you yeah, think? Absolutely. They're written in vulnerability and they, and they uh, um, tend to, um, uh, what would be the word, to, to generate vulnerability. Mm. And of course we're all vulnerable anyway, yeah. so we can act like we're not, but we are.
Yeah. And vulnerable to what? Well, there's a lot of things we're vulnerable. Mostly we need love. And uh, we, we are uh, in need of each other. And people struggle with all of that. And so do I. And so the songs open people up. And yeah. I realized that that very first big festival that I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to do this real fast. It's not yeah. going to be a quick, give me your money and <laughs> next. We're, the cash registers, it's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. not going to be the way it works for me. That's a commercial artist's young person game, right? That, what you're de describing. What you're doing is something different. It's you're, different. You're holding space. You're doing therapy sessions. In a way, it's therapeutic. Healing sessions yeah. in, in every song, in every probably yeah. co-write, yeah. in every concert. Yeah. That's really incredible yeah. work. Yeah. And the healing is not what you think it is. The healing is really letting people know they're not alone. Mm. I don't fix their life or anything. Songs yeah. can't do that. But songs can bring empathy. Mm. And we need empathy. Yeah. We need empathy. We need to know that someone else feels and has felt exactly the way we feel and they understand. Yeah. You know, that, that's what songs do best and that's my job. Well, and, and what is it? I mean, in all the years that you've been playing and thinking about this and writing about this, what is it about music that can do that and songs that can do that in a way that conversations can't? Why, why do we feel that from music? Because I think uh, mu music is what feelings sound like. Music is, by definition, emotion. And I think it transcends language. Hmm. We can feel music without having to think about words. And we feel it in a primal way. There's a reason that music and song is the last thing to go in a memory with Alzheimer's. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So someone could maybe sing a song or sing the lyrics of a song or hum the tune. They can sing Love wow. Me Tender but not remember their spouse of 50 wow. years. Wow. Well, it's a process in a totally different place of the brain, right? I mean, music is. I think it just goes really, really, really deep. It goes to the core of what we're made of. Maybe the vibration we're made of is not even light. Maybe it's sound. Maybe the sound mm. of it is Ooh. music. Oh, that's provocative. I like that. It's possible. Hmm. And I think, too, something that I, I find so interesting about what, what you talk about is um, about how, you know, we, we didn't figure out how to monetize music until the last century. But until then, I mean- People for, just sang and played together. Right, for thousands of years, yes. right? I mean, when there's something to celebrate, what did you do? You sang. You sang. Right? When there's something to grieve, you sang. Yeah. Uh -huh. I wonder if that's part of why we feel so much community and why probably concerts get people so excited because it does speak to some nature um, of uh, community through oh, absolutely. sound. absolutely. Absolutely. You go to Bridgestone and have, what is it? I don't know, 40,000 people singing together. Um, it's, a, it's a transcendent experience. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's something that brings us outside of our own individual experience into this connectedness mm. that we long for. Yeah. Like a school of fish or a flock of birds. We sing together. That's what, that's what we do well together as yeah. people, for sure. Isn't that interesting? How, how old do you think you were when you just sort of realize that, that that connection came together, that there was community in music? Mm, well, I needed community when I got sober. When I no longer drank or used drugs, I had a lot of time to deal with in every single day. I'm like, what do people do? Oh my <laughs> God, it's three o'clock. I've got another seven hours before I can go to bed. I mean, if you don't drink and hang out with your friends or smoke some dope, what do people do? <laughs> And I had to literally figure that out. And that is how I ended up going to open mics and writing songs and then playing music with people. And that was mm. how I found my way back is mm. through the creative process of uh, writing and playing music yeah. and singing with people and listening to other people's songs. It gave me a thing to do. And it's maintained itself for 31 years now. I'm still, that's still what I do. Yeah. I think that's so fortunate, you know, that you were able to find that. But, but you had found music earlier, right? I mean, you had picked up a, gu a guitar when you were younger. You just hadn't given it all yeah. the focus. Well, I didn't have the understanding uh, that, uh, um, that, that you didn't have to be a professional to write a song. 
Hmm. The music business is only 80-something years old, but it has certainly done a good job of convincing people that professionals write songs, hmm. which is just false. Oh, I like, I like how you say that. kids write songs all the time. I mean, I, I write songs. You're going to laugh. I write little tiny lullabies to my little children, it's, and I sing them. That, those are the songs that they request. Real. They don't want the other songs. They want mom's songs for bedtime because they just love them. But see, you've, you've internalized the belief that those aren't real songs. The real oh, songs are written by professionals. Yeah, yeah you're right. But I'd invite you to consider those are real songs. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. We just make it up. That's yeah. what songwriting is. Yeah. And so I didn't know that until I desperately needed to do something with my time. And I went to this open mic at Club Passim in Harvard Square, outside of Boston near in Cambridge, and saw people doing it. I'm like, I wanna do that. Yeah. And I realized, oh, songwriters are people who make up songs. They don't have mm. to be professional. Right, right. And in that experience, what did you notice about some of the people that got on stage? Did you see, when someone stood out? Did you see oh, yeah. when somebody resonated? And, and how did that impact your work? Oh, yeah. What what impressed me um, the most uh, and still does is when a songwriter's honest. I'm not one for the razzle-dazzle. I don't care about uh, uh, the huge vocal chops as much as I care about honesty and vulnerability. Because mm. I'm coming at it from what I need, which is to know that I belong. So if someone is superhuman, that makes me feel like I, I could be in awe of that and respect it, but that does nothing to make me feel like I belong. Mm. But if a regular looking person sings something honest mm. that I have experienced and I get empathy from that check, yeah. that's impressive to me. Yeah. And that's what I believe that, that music and songs uh, can do in addition to the supercharged a uh, uh, multinational corporate music business. This ground level stuff really matters too. Yeah, it does. Do you think people find the ground level at a later part in life or do you think they find it just whenever they need it? They find it when they need it. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of this can be done at a very high level. I mean, Bruce Springsteen does this and he does it with 80,000 people. Yeah, that's a gift. It's a sacred gift. Tell me that, that transition because you were a chef. You were mm -hmm. a trained chef living and working in Boston, working in restaurants, then owning restaurants, opening restaurants. Tell me what happened in your 30s when you started, you were sober, you started playing and you started writing, you started recording all while running restaurants. What was what was that life, that time like for you? Well, yeah, I was, uh, I was not going into the music business. I was filling my time with music and song when I wasn't running a restaurant because I needed something to do. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the people that I was meeting. The other artists really were uh, interesting to me and welcoming and I needed friends that weren't drug addicts and alcoholics right. like I was because I was trying to stay sober and I, and I was staying sober. So um, the restaurant business was how I made my living. Music was how I wanted to to spend my time when I wasn't at work. And then it started to switch. Mm. After about five or six years, I started thinking, I might really wanna do this. I might really wanna walk from the restaurant and make music. And that was a, a long process, a terrifying process of coming to terms with the fact that, that um, in spite of <laughs> the music industry, I was called to be a songwriter and be a musician. You know, it was much later in life. Yeah, yeah. and I that's was scary. approaching forty. Who yeah. starts at forty? Yeah, who moves to Nashville? You, you were, you were coming in when people wind down. I w and, I, and I came in openly gay. So just fill in the story. An openly gay woman comes to Nashville at forty to start a music career in the year like two thousand, right? Wasn't this two thousand? Like this doesn't end well. <laughs> it's not done, and yet here I am. It, yeah. it, it's been such an incredible place for me. Yeah, I have found so much. Uh, um, uh, uh, energy here for, for, for exactly what I was looking for. Mm. And it's been uh, uh, against all odds uh, uh, exactly what I should have done. 
Yeah. And probably at just the right time, right? It probably couldn't have happened earlier and it could maybe it could have happened later. That's the interesting thing I think about when you're called to do something. Maybe the window arises and hopefully you follow it and hopefully it works out. And I, I think, think it did for you. I think it did work. It worked out beautifully <laughs> for me. I, uh, I, I have zero complaints and I'm deeply grateful. Yeah. Um, but everybody I knew at the time said, don't do it. Yeah. It's, it's just, you're crazy. You're, you're leaving a successful business for a pipe dream. Right. Uh, there was no evidence that I was going to make it. Uh, but yet the, the calling called and I answered. Yeah, I, and I want to push you on this because I think this is part of why I wanted to do um, not just this podcast, but your episode specifically, because I feel like um, something I've heard, I've heard you articulate it this way is that there are whispers and we yeah. all, we all have the choice to listen to the whispers of what That's we right. feel like our life, uh, what we're called to do with our life. At what point do you think you heard the whispers and what made you decide to listen to that, to, to switch careers yeah. and against all odds move to Nashville and do this? Um, well, it was a process, uh, more than an event, but over time playing open mics and getting a little better at it and making a record and having my very first record against all odds get nominated as uh, one of the uh, best uh, new folk artists uh, uh, of 1995 mm. in Boston, where everybody had a folk guitar at the time. And <laughs> I, I was just astonished that, that I got a nod there. I didn't win, but I was certainly encouraged. Yeah. And the universe gave me clues. Yeah. Hints. Like what? What kinds um, of hints and clues? Well, people I admired uh, told me they liked my songs. Hmm. Being nominated uh, for that award. Uh, uh, being given a chance to to play uh, venues that that uh, uh, were above my ability to fill, but people wanted to help me. Mm. Um, the helping hands all around me. It, don't you think that's a clue? Yeah. When 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 the doors start to open, yes. or when the when the people step out and say, yeah. I don't have any reason to help you. This doesn't help me, but I'm going to help you. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to help you. That's, that's exactly <laughs> how it went for me over yeah. and over and over again. Keith Case, uh, um, who, who, who was my first agent, said, Mary, I don't even know if I can get $50 a night for you. And I have no understanding of why I'm doing this, but I'll be your agent. You know, God bless him. He was my agent here on Music Row. It's why I moved to Nashville. Wow. And he put me on the road with Guy Clark changed my life. You know, I got to see the master, mm. you know, one of the great folk singers of all time. And, uh, you know, and I got to tour with John Prine, you know, and Nancy Griffith. And really, that's all I needed. Got Clark, John Prine, Nancy Griffith. Here's how it's done. Go yeah. do it. Right. And so um, the whisper that I, I talk about in my book is, is, the, is the little inkling that says, try it. Mm. Try it. The calling that, that, that I experienced never shouted. It never said, you must. It never did that. <laughs> it's just a subtle, try it. Mm. You know, try it. If it fails, you know how to open restaurants. You will find investors and open another restaurant. If you yeah. go broke and fail, you will not die. Try it. Why not? Give it your all and see what happens. Yeah. I think I'm still at that. I'm still giving it my all and see what happens. Yeah. And I really haven't gave up on the, if I need to open a restaurant, but I, I think by this point, you know? this, by this point, I mean, you've done this successfully for quite some time. I don't, I don't think there's a restaurant unless you decided this would bring me joy right now. Maybe I'll just start, I'll just start a restaurant. Yeah, no, I think I'm done with restaurants, <laughs> but if I had to, yeah. I could. And I think that the, uh, the whisper of a calling uh, is a, a very subtle thing. And I think that a lot of folks expect it to shout and it never does. Mm. And we have free will. So we can say no. Yeah, We're free to say no. And people say no all the time. Mm. And I didn't want to be someone on my deathbed who, who reflected on, on what, I was, what I was hearing in, my, in the background and, and, and said no. Like, okay, I'll, I'll do it, even though it's terrifying and this is ridiculous. Do you think that part of your story resonates with people or do you think it's the sobriety? What, what do you find most people gravitate toward of your own personal story? I think people gravitate towards being a late bloomer. 
Because mm. we also have this youth culture where we're expected to have it all figured out at 21. Which is like, not, I mean, it's just not even possible. Every now and then you have someone who figured it out at eight. <laughs> I've seen research that suggests fewer fewer than 20% of people know from a younger age what they want to do. Maybe not all the details figured out, but they know, like, I'm going to be a meteorologist. That's what I'm going to do. But very few of us very do. Few. Very few. And I think one of the great joys of being uh, uh, in a Western nation with a lot of opportunity is we don't have to do one thing. Mm. We can completely change channels. Yeah. My uncle Bernard became a therapist at 62. Oh, I love that. Went back to college and decided he wanted to be a therapist. He went from being an a engineer uh, to uh, completely changing. That modeled for me. I can go from being a restaurateur to yeah. being a songwriter. If you're loving the Amstigator podcast, the interviews, the stories, and the vulnerability, I'd really like your help to share it with more people. And you can do that by reviewing it. The more positive reviews a podcast has, the more likely it is that Apple and Spotify and Google and everywhere will share it. And if you take the time to do that, I'm giving you something really special. I'll send you my free ebook that I don't have anywhere else on my website. This is my path to transformation that I started in late 2020. It has my routines, my schedules, uh, what I took on, what I let fall away. It's truly how I do life, honestly, how I work full time at the TV station, how I have three tiny children, how I still make time to do this purposeful work. And it's something exclusively for podcast listeners who leave an honest review. So here's how you get that ebook. If you want it, just go to amstigator.com slash review. That's where I give step-by-step -step instructions on how to review the podcast. It takes you two minutes. You'll share your email so I can send you the ebook. Bada bing, bada boom, it's done. And literally, it's something exclusively for my podcast listeners who go to amstigator.com slash review and follow the steps. It's how I say thank you to you. Your review really can help place this podcast where more people will see it. And that's why I started this, truly, to help as many people as possible. So you're a part of that. Amstigator.com slash review is where you gotta go. Now let's get back to the conversation. Let's talk about those outside forces when you're going to make a big choice like you made. Um, I know it stands out to you in your story. I'm sure it stands out to other people, too, just about how, you know, people didn't have the vision you had. They didn't have the whispers you had. And they probably out of love wanted to talk you out of it yeah. or maybe out of like their own financial interests. Like your investors might have said, yeah, this is dumb. Mary, why in the hell would you do that? Yeah, that's part of it, probably. Yeah. 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 Uh, I just think that. Uh, if you're gonna, if if you're gonna, if you're gonna just change, change everything, uh, and do something really different, it's gonna freak people out. Mm. Is it because people we all want someone to fit in a box, or do you think it's confront? It's forcing a person to confront their own unanswered whisper. I don't know. I think maybe it's legitimately risky, and mm. they're afraid for you. And if they if they care for you, they don't want to see you fall and fail. You know, mm -hmm. it could be that too. Like it could be genuine concern. Like gay people don't move to Nashville at 40 and start a music career, Mary. In 2000. I mean, 2000. Yeah, we're slightly progressive, but not progressive We're not that in progressive 2000. in 2021. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, give me the list. Uh, no, yeah. nobody. Yeah. And I don't think that uh, uh, people wanted me to get hurt. You know, mm -hmm. they weren't like, don't just stay up here in Boston. It's progressive. It's safe here. But it's brand confusion. I'm not mm. a, I'm a Southern woman. Yeah. You, you were born and raised in Louisiana. I'm Southern. Yeah. And Nashville it resonated with me. I mm. love the songwriters. Mm. And oh my God, because I came here, I got to be on the road with Willie Nelson. You yeah. Know? I love this town. I belong in this town. Yeah. And so I needed to carve out my space in this town. And um, I'm grateful that I was able to do that. And yeah. people took chances on me and they still do. Yeah. I'm not the biggest seller, but I'm a lifer. Yeah. I'm a long game person. <laughs> yeah. We may not run it up the charts, but we're going to be running for a long, long yeah. time. Let's, let's talk about what gave you commercial success, a, a critical acclaim, and then also probably just, just this incredible feeling of, um, fulfillment. 
uh, your work with soldiers, songwriting for soldiers, the organization that um, you were asked to be a part of years and years ago. Um, explain how that process works, what you sit down and do, and then what you created from that. Yeah, I've been uh, working with songwriting with soldiers going on nine years now. Uh, and they'll be celebrating 10 years next year. So I've been there from almost the beginning. Uh, and what it is is a nonprofit that pairs professional songwriters with wounded veterans and often their families, uh, especially their spouses. And we go to a retreat center and bear witness and we take the stories and turn them into songs. Uh, and we are co-writing with the veterans and their wives, even though they're not songwriters. Yeah. Because what we're doing is getting their story and putting it into their song. Yeah. So it's a co-write because they're giving the ideas to the songwriter. And then those songs get sung and, and um, a lot of incredible things can happen from that. Help me understand how that works. Give me, give me the rundown of you sit down with a person who's a veteran. Yeah, well, how does it start? Let's just say you, you served in, in uh, Afghanistan or, or, or Iraq uh, and, uh, uh, and you, you've got PTSD or trauma or, or any of the myriad of, of war and in injuries that people come home with. So we sit down and I ask you, so where'd you serve? When did you serve? What was it like? It's not easy being a woman in the military. Did you have struggle with that? Um, start to open a conversation up and and ask uh, questions that lead to questions. Um, and uh, kind of like what you do as a journalist, I'll find out about a person uh, and create safety by body language and eye contact. Uh, and yes, vibe like you're doing right now. <laughs> well, I, but I'm with you. I'm with exactly, you. Exactly, but that is humans read that as safe. Yeah. I'm safe to talk. And then I'll get the guitar and find a melody that matches some of what I'm being told. Mm. And the music's like a magnet that begins to pull more story mm. out. And we'll create this intimacy with the music and the story. And then once you hear your words sung back to you, you really feel seen, uh, and there is something that happens that that builds trust, so that more story comes. Yeah. And I've often had veterans say, "I don't know why I'm telling you all this. Mm. My wife doesn't even know this." Well, well, part of it's because there's something about you, though, Mary. I think because you've you've lived you've lived so much life. Yeah. You know, I mean, you you had you made hard choices. And you put yourself in hard situations, you survived, you got through it, and then you de-shamed the story yeah. that you lived. And yeah. you found so much healing through all of that. So like everything you bring to every conversation, every word you write is non-judgmental. There's nothing about you that's judgmental. So I, I think like there's there's we have to say something about that too. It's not just that a, a veteran's gonna share their story with you. They they feel that you will not judge them for what they're gonna say. Absolutely not. All I want to do and all any of the songwriters want to do is get the best possible song with that person that we sit with. Yeah. Judgment is is uh, is going to get in the way of that. We want the best possible song. Yeah. So I used music and song to help me heal. And and I know that music and song can help them heal. And I go there with that knowledge. Mm. And the requirement is honesty. That's all. But that's the hardest thing. Emotional yeah. honesty is the hardest thing, especially for for soldiers because they're told to shut down emotion. Emotion yeah. gets people killed. Right. You got to shut that down. And I'm asking the hardest thing, which is open it up. But the music will help. And um, it is uh, uh, a, a process that that can take some of the worst things that have happened and alchemize them. Mm. It's, it's alchemy. It is. It's, it, it's literally alchemy. Yeah. Here's what I want to understand. And, and this is going to involve your, your guitar. So I want to understand in the mind of Mary Gaucher, I know you've said that music is what feelings sound, sound like. So when you hear someone express an emotion, do you immediately hear a chord? Or how does that work in your mind? Well, the way that it works is tied to um, words as well and story. So 
you know, I have I worked with a woman um, who who was in the infantry. And those are the people that go first. Mm. They go first. The infantry's tough. And she was a chaplain's assistant in the infantry. So they were first on the scene of casualties and injuries. And she was betrayed by the chaplain she assisted. He sexually assaulted her. Oh, my. So I knew when I heard that story and I watched her strength, Mm. we weren't going to go sad. We're going to go, I'm a soldier in the infantry. We're, we're rocking. That's right. Mm. Her spirit comes in strength. Mm. It hurt her. Yeah. But it didn't destroy her. And the thing that the story needed to tell was, I'm a soldier in the infantry. Mm. He didn't take that from me. Wow. And he, he, he is not the story. Yeah. The story is the resilience mm. and the courage to tell the story. Yeah. So to me, the sound of that is rock and roll. Can we, can we hear some of that? Like the part that you think really well, portrays I that? I didn't record that one, you know? Oh, you so, didn't? Uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh, but it's a... I was 17. Soldier in the infantry. Yeah, so it's dri- it drives right because you could it's feel got to drive. Like Bass and drums. She's just going. She's like, I have not been defeated, and to show that I'm not defeated, I'm going to be brave enough to tell this god awful story. Yeah, and stand with it and stand by it, knowing that when you tell the story, a whole other wave of uh, potential injuries will come. Every woman knows when you tell that story, there will be those who say you're lying. Mm, right. But she's in the infantry. She can she can deal with it. She can handle it. People Bring type, it on. typing on a computer, put that up against someone who went in the front lines and was in the infantry. That's what I want to get across. Mm. So bass, drums, and rock and roll. Yeah. And it helped her to see her own strength. Yeah. She wasn't sure, but the music helped her to see it's there. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. So what do you what do you think you see? Or maybe the better way to ask this is when you have written a song with a soldier um, who has just kind of entrusted you with their story. How do you know that you've gotten it right? Uh, I can see if it's if it if it's if it's uh, um, reflected back that it's right. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask them too, please, please, please tell me if, if we're getting off track or if that's not what you would say or if I missed something because you're, you're co-writing with me mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can say that I can't find another word for. Mm-hmm. If there's lexicon in my brain, I will find the way to say it that matches what you mean. Right. Don't be worried. I'm a professional songwriter. <laughs> I do this for a living. Back to the thing. I became a professional <laughs> at a certain point. Um, but I really feel like uh, uh, the the eyes are where we see it working. Mm. It's very hard to have eye contact when you have uh, post-traumatic stress. And, and I'm sure there's some shame and some embarrassment. Oh, so much embarrassment. There's never PTSD without shame. The shame is that it happened. Mm. I couldn't prevent it from happening. Mm. That's shame-based, that I wasn't able to prevent it. So we've got to de-shame it. And how do you de-shame it? You de-shame it by telling it. Mm. And the big magic moment always is, me too. Mm. Others come up and say, oh my God, me too. Mm. And they're like, are you serious? And you feel, it's, oh. there's the magic. That's right. the empathy. Of music, of writing. Story it's and only song. F- part one. Mm. You need part two for it to really be alchemy. And the part two is the me too. Yeah, is to have fellow sufferers say, "You speak for me. That is my truth." And now we're not alone. Yeah. What's another one of those songs that that you think that you think really has done that? That's created real alchemy. Oh gosh, every great song does that. I think that's what they do. Mm. David Bowie was the best at it. 
Oh, I love that. Don't you think? Yeah. Um, with his his uh, um, total revolutionary look, and he made it cool to be weird and, dif <laughs> and different. Yeah, to be different and totally. emotional. He was, uh, and in his older years, he he was sober, and he made. Uh, beautiful adult music. His last record is astonishing. And uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, that is everywhere in great music. Mm. Everywhere. That's what it, it, I think, that's one of the, the things that uh, is primary in yeah. it. In it. Yeah. Well, and I, I find it interesting too, something about your style is there's so much simplicity in it. Yeah. But so much, I mean, there's so much provocative truth in everything that you that you write, not just in your book, but everything you write about in your songs. And and I love this concept of reduction that, that you open actually your book about. You reduce, 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 take out the superfluous words, take out the things that aren't needed so that we reduce to just the exact word, the right word at the right time with the right chord for the greatest impact. That's exactly how you write songs. I, I love it. I love it. Please, please. Uh, explain <laughs> and that's why your I came to Nashville because yeah. the best of the best have all been here and uh, have come through here if they aren't still here. Uh, that is what great songwriters do. They get rid of everything that doesn't have to be there and they say exactly in the least words possible the truth. Hmm. And it is not easy, Yeah, but it is simple. Simplicity uh, is not a synonym for easy. Simple yeah, and yeah. easy are different things. Simplicity, I think, is the, is the reason great country songs are great hmm. because they speak to everybody. You don't have to have a college education to understand the simplicity of a beautiful, beautiful, well-written lyric. Yeah. You know, the greats all did that. Harlan Howard, Tom T. Hall, the Nashville guys, you mm. know, Tom Douglas, Laurie McKenna's doing it today. Yeah. It's not uh, the complexity that's of interest, it's the simplicity. Mm. Something you may not, I associate this lesson with one of another one of your songs with Rifles and Rosary Beads. That, that album and then the title track of that album um, garnering you a, a Grammy nomination, which I'm sure made you very proud. But there, there's something about that song that really sticks out to me because just as you hear rifles and rosemary, uh, rosemary beads, rifles and rosary beads, beg your pardon. I, there's something about when you say the Vicodin, Vicodin morphine dreams. Like mm. there's three words yeah. and suddenly I, I get it. I, I just get it. I, I see what you were seeing when you write that song, yeah. you know? Do you mind playing some of that for me? Not at all. Play chorus. Rifle. Let me find it. Rifles and rosary beads. You hold on to what you need. Vicodin, morphine dreams, rifles, rosary beads, rifles and rosary beads. You hold on to what you need. Vicodin, morphine dreams, rifles, rosary beads. Tell me, tell me where you were and who you were with when you were writing that song. Um, I wrote this with a young man who uh, served in the surge of Fallujah. His name is Joe Costello. And when we sat down, I asked him, well, what was it like? And uh, how old were you and where did you serve? And he said, well, I was 19 years old and they flew me into Fallujah. And it was during the surge and I was in the army. And uh, when I got off the plane, um, I said, I tell you what, don't tell me, just tell me what you saw. Because he started choking mm. up mm. and just the visuals, like, like pictures. He said, well, yellow smoke and there was orange haze everywhere. Mm. And um, 
there was guys with rosary beads. Mm. And some of them were holding their father's rosary beads that made it through Vietnam. Oh, Lord. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were praying the rosary. Others, other guys were holding their weapons with white knuckles, mm. so holding them so tight. I said, well, Joe, that's a title, man. Rifles and rosary beads. That's incredible. That's incredible. The juxtaposition, ju juxtaposition of those two things is a powerful thing. So I just, you know, yellow smoke, orange haze blowing into my eyes, whistling sunset bombs. I couldn't trust the sky. Rifles and rosary beads You hold on to what you need Like morphine dreams Rifles, rosary beads He said the whistling bombs would come in at sunset and uh, uh, the... Uh, the fear was that uh, uh, they they would land close enough to kill you, mm. and it happened every day. Wow. Mm -hmm. And how did you get the line about Vicodin morphine dreams? Well, I said, you hold on to what you need, and uh, he said, yeah, man, that's good. Let's put that in there. And then I asked him, well, what did you hold on to? And he didn't want to say. He said, well, you know, I said, well, it's not rifles and rosary beads. And so he whispered something like Vicodin. I'm like, Vicodin, I understand that. <laughs> You're like, when I was addicted. Uh, that makes sense to me. <laughs> I understand completely how that would help you deal with every single sunset thinking a bomb is going to blow up so close to you that you're going to yeah. die. Is today the day I die? Mm -hmm. Here's how I'm going to figure this out. Completely understand. Wow. I get it. Every soldier gets it. Mm. And so I just put it in there. And he started to understand as we, as we wrote it that we were talking about him, but we were talking about war. Yeah. And my experience writing with veterans, and this is true of all veterans, is that every soldier's song is a prayer for peace. Mm. Just by talking about the truth of war. You don't have to, to, uh, to say the word peace ever. Hmm. After the very first retreat you did with this organization, this group group of songwriters, group of songwriters and with soldiers as well, do, do you remember how you felt walking away from that retreat? Exhausted. Hmm. Yeah, it takes a lot. Yeah. It takes a lot to hear these stories. So many people are so badly wounded, uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Yeah. But also, I felt deeply connected to purpose. That I'm doing what God put me here to do, and I'm doing it to the best of my ability. And I've been put in a position to be useful, which is so gratifying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you do you find a lot of people on that same path along with you using oh, yeah. music and song as their purpose? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Every Almost every songwriter that I bring into my workshops to be guest teachers will say, uh, I'd be dead without it. Yeah. Save my life. It's, it's, it's the thing that, that, uh, it's my music is my mistress. I don't have to have an affair. <laughs> it's the thing that I'm in love with and stay passionate about always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's never done. Right. It's always the next blank page. Mm. And you've got you've got some blank pages you've recently filled because you're going. It's funny because like you came to be with us tonight on the night before you go into the studio tomorrow. Right. So for your 11th studio album, which yeah. I find pretty incredible. Me too. Yeah. What did you end up putting? What, what are you going to record? I was going to say, what are you going to put on this record? But Well, I've got uh, a lot of songs. We'll see which ones come alive with the band. I generally play uh, as a solo artist or a duo with my partner, Jamie. So I don't have uh, any uh, reference for what they're going to sound like with the band. Hmm. So I'll try them all out and see uh, a lot of stuff I've written during the pandemic. So there's, there's um, uh, quite a bit of, uh, of grief and there's also quite a bit of love. Mm. Um, we, we don't grieve unless we love, and, and love is, is uh, a big part of the story. 
Um, and uh, and loss, though. I mean, you know, we kicked off the pandemic with John Prine dying. Mm. Uh, right before that, my, my dear friend, the great songwriter David Olney, passed away at a festival we were playing in uh, January 2020. Lost John in March. We just lost Nancy Griffith and a whole myriad of other uh, people that I uh, admire deeply, deeply, deeply as songwriters and friends and also friends, you know, friends that have passed. So I've I've got a lot of, of uh, I guess, you know, mature songs of, of, of loss, but also straight-up love songs of, mm. of uh, gratitude for, for the love in my life and the love that I have had. Yeah. Don't you think that's something that, that's actually good that's come out of the pandemic is that I feel like many of us have, have reconnected with gratitude. You know, I mean, that's the crazy thing about loss is that you do begin to see the things that you should be grateful for. Don't yeah. You think? Yeah. Yeah. Dr. King put that in a speech. He said, it's dark enough to see the stars. Hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, there's a song on the record that I'm, I'm uh, going to record, and that might even be the title track. When it gets dark enough, you start to know what really matters. And I think when we get down into it, what really matters is love and those we love hmm. and those who love us. That really, really matters. Yeah. Yeah. When did you start to figure that out for yourself? About last week, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still working on it. I'm still figuring it out, but I know that to be true. Hmm. And I know that I need to uh, continue to deepen my ability to love hmm. and express my love. Say, I love you and, yeah. and share it and be uh, of, uh, of greater service with the uh, uh, the work that I do, because yeah. that, that is an expression of love. You know, the thing that food and, and music do have in common is it's a way to show love. You, you cook, you cook <laughs> I, with love. Oh, I love and, that. And, and you, show, you can show yeah. love with music and song, too. Yeah, yeah I love that. So maybe yeah. that is the, the purpose is to show love, right? And, and connection, so. and connection. But I use music so. and song that way. You yeah. are an artist. You're a troubadour. <laughs> I am a troubadour. Yeah, I do love that. I do love that. Mary Gaucher? Thanks so much for being here. It's a real pleasure talking with I you. I really appreciate it. So that does it for our first season, the first 13 episodes of Amstigator. I hope you feel inspired. I hope you see how purpose plays out in so many beautiful ways in people's lives. Our full episodes will pick back up in April 2022. And if you're an email subscriber on Amstigator.com, you'll stay totally up to speed on who I'm interviewing and when those new YouTube videos are dropping. But before I let you go, I hope you understand that you could be any one of these people you just heard from. Finding your purpose is something you have to do, not just for yourself. Think about all the people who miss out on the lessons, the enlightenment, the joy. If you never step into what you're supposed to do. So make the commitment to yourself to listen to the whispers, to be curious, to follow what excites you, no matter how simple or insignificant it might seem. Your purpose is calling. It's time you answer. <laughs>